Hey, welcome uh, to River Ridge, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. And um, so I want to start with a question. How many of you like being interrupted? Okay, show of hands, let the record show that there were zero watching at home, zero also. So interruptions is something that I don't think any of us particularly like, but all of us deal with, right? And so think about like if, if you have kids, you know, and, and I can remember when my kids were little, they're like, dad, 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 you know, trying to get my attention or words are like, dad, dad, tapping on my hip, right? And those sort of interruptions, it's like, stop, stop interrupting me. And when my daughter, Emily, was real small, probably 18 months or two years old, whenever I wanted to get her attention, I would take her chin and I would hold it and I would say, Emily, I'm going to tell you something very important. Whatever you do, and then whatever, you know, don't run out in traffic or, you know, don't date stupid boys or whatever it was, right? So, but I, I would hold her chin and tell her that. So one day I'm standing in our kitchen and I'm holding Emily on my hip and I'm having a conversation and I feel this little hand go, hey, daddy. <laughs> so, like, where did you learn that? Oh, you learned that from me. You know, but, but interruptions are kind of a part of life, you know, and, and you're in the middle of uh, a project, you know, something that you're working on that takes a lot of concentration, a lot of thought, and then somebody knocks on your door, or there's a phone call that you have to answer, or, you know, those types of things, we get interrupted all the time, or you're on your way to the office, or you're on your way to vacation, you're on your way to eat, and then there's a traffic jam, and you're interrupted from going from where you are to where you want. All of us deal with those kind of interruptions, and the reason that interruptions bother us is because it messes with our expectation. I had an expectation that my day was going to look like this, or my next hour was going to look like this, and then something interrupts it. Tuesday morning, I was ready to go here to the office. I've got my lunch pack and my backpack. I have one foot out the door, and Stacy says, hey, Matt, can you help me move some furniture? Because she was going to paint a room. And so out of my mouth came, sure, honey, love to. My inner voice was, I'm headed out the door. I have a plan. Why didn't you ask me 20 minutes ago? Stacy, we can talk about that later. I, I realize we don't usually bring up conflict in a sermon. So, so and the room looks amazing. Um, and, although the, here's the ironic thing is I was on my way from home to the church to write a sermon about being interrupted. And so, yeah, thanks. So this morning we're going to talk, the message is Jesus and interruptions. And we're talking about over the course uh, of this year, it's relevant from Genesis to Revelation. And we've just turned the corner and we're going to talk about Jesus for about the next eight weeks or so. And I'm super excited just to focus on Jesus. And it's the type of thing where each of them I've kind of titled and Jesus and blessing, Jesus and prayer, Jesus and treasure, Jesus and death, Jesus and life. And I would say, and personally, I think any week is a good week to invite somebody new to River Ridge Church. But I would say, especially these next eight weeks are great opportunities to invite somebody to church because we're going to be talking about specifically Jesus and telling the stories of Jesus. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but one of the things in your seat back next to the Connect card, there are these little um, invite cards, and those are for you. If you want to take all of them, stick them in your wallet, you meet somebody who might be interested in coming to church, use it as an invite card, you're welcome to do that. 
But we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning as we look at Jesus being interrupted. So let's pray as we look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, just for the worship and how we were able to enter into your presence and be ministered to by you in that, in that time, in that space. And God, as we look into your word, I pray that you would teach us, that you would give us um, some insights and, and allow this to be a mirror and to look at how do we feel about being interrupted. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the bottom line right up front before we jump into this. And here's the bottom line if you want to jot this down. An interruptible life is an impactful life. An interruptible life is an impactful life. If we want to have the maximum input that we can, the maximum impact that we can, it's going to mean that we're going to need to learn to be interruptible in our lives. And so this story talks about Jesus, and he's interrupted not once, but twice. And we'll walk through the story and then draw some conclusions. So this is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. So that's the first interruption. It says that they returned. So they came across the Sea of Galilee, if you want to read. Before that, they were across the Sea of Galilee doing this kind of crazy stuff over there. They had to row or sail across the Sea of Galilee. They arrive in Capernaum, and no doubt they were exhausted, right? Think about when you come back from a trip. What do you want to do? Do you want to have lots of people throng around you and all that kind of stuff? They were exhausted. They were tired, and that's their first interruption. A man named Jairus comes and falls at Jesus' feet and interrupts him as they were going to do whatever they were going to do. Now, Jairus, it tells us a little bit about his story. It says that he was a synagogue ruler. And many of you know this, but if you don't, Stacy and I uh, had the opportunity to go to Israel back in May. It was a present from you all to us for our 20th anniversary of the church. Uh, and so we got to go to this synagogue where Jairus was the ruler. And so I have a picture of it. Uh, and this is the synagogue in Capernaum. And it was just fascinating to be in this place, like a little overwhelming, honestly. Like I walked in the same place that Jesus walked, that he taught. I walked in the same place that Jairus, the synagogue ruler, was in charge of. And so to be the synagogue ruler, it was not a rabbi type of position. It was more like a kind of head administrator over the the programming and the um, facility and stuff like that that happened here. But it says about him in verse 42, it says, for he, had only, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so Jairus comes, falls at Jesus' feet, which is not very dignified for a man of his stature, especially in that culture. And says, because he had an only daughter who was 12 years of age, and she was dying. And, and again, you look at the details, and when I'm reading the scripture, I always look for these, like what details are included in there? And it says, an only daughter. And I can identify with Jairus because I have one daughter and three sons. And I have a special affection for Emily. She got married in the beginning of July, and like I cried the whole day long, right? You know, and that type of thing. And, and even when she was little, I just had a tender heart for her, I have three boys, and they would hurt themselves. I'm like, rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine, right? But when Emily falls down, I'm like, you know, so I get that. And that it says that she was 12 years old, and that's going to become significant in just a minute. 
Now, before we move on and read the rest of the story, I want to point out something that Jairus knew that we know, but that people who don't know Jesus don't necessarily know. Jairus knew that Jesus had the power to change life. Jairus knew that Jesus had the power to heal his daughter, to make changes. He has that power. And, and we know that, but there are thousands of people that we interact with every day who don't know that truth. And it says this. It says, and Jesus went, the, uh, As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. So Jesus is walking to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter, who is 12 years old. And then this woman comes, and it tells us, again, the detail is there, that she had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Basically, she had her menstrual cycle for 12 straight years. Again, why is that detail in there? Because it could have just said she was a young girl, and it could have said the woman had been bleeding for a long time. But the narrator, Luke, is tying that together because he wants to see the, us to see that kind of significance of 12 and to put these two in the same story. That this woman had been bleeding as long as this girl had been alive. It's a long time. And it says that she spent all that she had on physicians and doctors. And so time and time again, she goes, and, and every time she earned money, had extra money, she went to a doctor and wouldn't be cured, and wouldn't be cured, and wouldn't be cured. The, the healing that she needed was only found in Jesus. And you know, as we go through life, and again, because you know Jesus, you realize that there are things that only Jesus can fix. There's only things that God can fix. And that's not to say don't go to doctors. I'm not saying that. But there are things in us that money can't fix, that friends can't fix, that doctors can't fix, that only Jesus can fix and transform our lives. And so she pushes through the crowd and says she reached out and she touched the fringe of his garment. Uh, that's a phrase that I have read a number of times, but again, going to Israel, it kind of came alive, and this week I did a little bit more research on it. And so I have a picture, and this is uh, not us, but this is somebody on our trip uh, in Israel. His name is Brad. He was the guide of our trip. So when, when, the, when Luke tells us that she reached out and touched the fringe of his garment, if you look at that picture, there's the corner of the garment, and then you can see just a little bit of a fringe on that. And what he's holding there is a prayer shawl, right? And so when it says she touched the, the, the corner of his garment, that's what she touched, that corner, that fringe hanging out. Sometimes it was actually called the wing of the garment, right? And she touched that on purpose because, again, she's a woman who has faith, right? Because she reached out to Jesus in faith that he would heal her. Listen to what this says in the book of Malachi says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That word wing, that corner, that tassel, it's the same thing that she had this faith. And so she touched not his sandal, not his head, not his shoulder, but the corner of his prayer shawl because she understood the power of who Jesus was and the power of that prayer shawl 
that he, that he had wrapped around him. Now, back to interruptions. At this point in time, remember Jairus? Says, come and heal my daughter. At this point, Jesus could have just gone on because it already says that she was healed. But he doesn't. He stops. And here's why. Because he's willing to be interrupted and hear her story. Verse 45. It says, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Then all denied it. Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. The similar version in Mark says, how can you ask who touched you? And it's sort of like the disciples are like, Jesus, you're asking who touched you. The answer is everybody touched you, right? Have you ever been to a Mountaineer game and it's like you're just body to body with people? Jesus didn't go to a Mountaineer game, but I'm just like, you're body to body with people. Like everybody's touching you. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. There was something different. Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So he says, who touched me? Now here's the thing that we know, that Jesus is God and Jesus knows all things. So when he asks the question, who touched me, why is he asking? Because he's not going, I have no idea who touched me. I'm God and everything and somebody touched me. Who, who was that? No, it wasn't for his sake. It was for her sake that he wanted her to raise her hand and say, it was me, to identify herself because he had some things that he wanted to share with her. Verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down and, immediately, and had been immediately healed. And, and Luke includes the details of the doctors and all that stuff and spending all of her money. That's when she shares that story like I did this. And Jesus sits there and he listens to her story, just listens to it. But the thing is, the healing was already there. He didn't need to listen to her story, but he did because of who he is, because he was willing to be interrupted. And then it says this, verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace three phrases there, all of which are super important. He says, her daughter. He calls her daughter. Again, Jairus, it was his daughter. It, he's kind of drawing on that. This is an affectionate sort of term towards her. He could have said woman. He could have said child. He could have, a lot of different things, but he addresses her. He says, daughter. It's that understanding that she was loved by him in a personal, affectionate sort of way. Again, we, we know that sitting in this room. And if you don't, this is maybe a great reminder that God has that sort of affection for you. And Jesus had that affection for this woman, his daughter. But people outside, people who don't know Jesus, don't know that truth. And then the next little phrase, it says, your faith has made you well. He wants her to understand that he is responding to her faith. Your faith has made you well. And then that last phrase, go in peace. He wants to give her that assurance of peace. Like this is not just, it just happened to happen. It was just sort of a lucky deal, but go in peace. You're gonna have this as a lasting healing. And here's the interesting thing. And some translations will say, um, 
your faith has made you clean, and you'll sometimes see that in these healing things. And it's interesting, it tells us something about Jesus and, and this woman, because here's the thing is, what happened here is not normally what happens when clean and dirty mixed together, right? So if you have a pair of dirty, smelly, stinky socks, and you put them in a Ziploc bag, and then you put a pair of clean socks in there, you don't open the bag thinking that the dirty socks are now going to smell clean, do you? No, right? Or if, you know, back in the time of COVID, if somebody gets on there coughing and sneezing on an elevator, right, and they have COVID, but you put 12 healthy people on there, it's like, oh, well, now this person isn't going to be, have COVID anymore, right? Because what happens is what is unclean makes that which is clean unclean, right? But that's not what happens here. Because you see about her being clean, she was ceremonially unclean for 12 years. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't go in the synagogue. She couldn't be and practice this faith that she had because she was unclean. But Jesus, the one who is clean, makes her clean. It doesn't work the other way around. And the same is true for us, is that God makes us clean. We don't take him. He changes us. And so she was affirming, go in peace, you are clean. Then verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. If I'm Jairus, at this point, I'm ticked off at Jesus. And I'm not saying that he was, I'm just saying, if that was me, I would be upset. Because he went and he found Jesus as soon as he got back. He said, come to my house, he and my daughter. And Jesus is on his way. And then he takes this time to talk to this woman. And in the time that he takes to talk to this woman, his daughter dies. And, and, you know, and maybe it was a five-minute conversation. Maybe she was a long talker. It was a 35 or 40-minute conversation. We don't know, right? But he takes the time. And if I'm Jairus, I'm like, well, look what happened, Jesus. You did that, and now my daughter has died. It's too late. Verse 50, but on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And so at this point, Jesus goes to Jairus' house. He brings into the house kind of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, the mother and father. They come in as well. And then this happens in verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. That Jesus brought her back from the dead. Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. And I don't ever want us to lose sight of that amazing power that Jesus had. And here's what we see in this story, and here's what Jairus discovered, is Jesus' timing is perfect. It wasn't the wrong timing. It wasn't, it was the perfect timing for what God wanted to do. And you know, sometimes we don't like God's timing. It, and here's what we need to understand is God's timing is always perfect. And again, we know that, or at least we need to be reminded of that. But people who don't know Jesus and don't know God don't know that. Jesus' timing is perfect. It may not be our timing, we may not like the timing, we may not understand the timing, but God's timing is always perfect. So I want to bring us back to the bottom line. An interruptible life is an impactful life. An interruptible life is an impactful life. 
we see this so clearly in this story of Jesus. He was willing to be interrupted first by Jairus and then by this bleeding woman. And the result was that he had an incredible impact on her and on, on both of the women, or the girl and the woman in this story. And it's interesting, as you read the Gospels, and by the way, in the relevant reading, we're still in the Old Testament with the minor prophets. Um, keep reading in about, I think, two weeks or so, we'll get to the New Testament. But as you read the New Testament, one of the things that you may notice or have already noticed is that Jesus has this ministry as he goes along all the time. And you might even say he had more impactful ministry on his way to a place than he did when he actually arrived. And we see it all over. There's the woman in the well, woman at the well, John chapter 4. Jesus stops, has a conversation with her. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is walking in Capernaum, and there's a centurion who comes to him asking for healing for his son. Mark chapter 10, he's setting out on a journey, and the rich young ruler stops him. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is talking to a packed house, and he's interrupted by some friends lowering their paralytic friend through the roof to him. Luke 17, 10 lepers come to him, and he stops what he's doing, and he heals them. There's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable about people not being willing to be interrupted, and the Samaritan who says, I'll be interrupted, if you know that parable. And then there's the kind of what I would call the anti-example, so to speak, is Jesus is talking, and, the, and there's children that want to come and interrupt him. And the disciples are like, no, 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 Jesus can't be interrupted. And what does Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. I want to be interrupted by children. We can go on and on. And as you read the Gospels, there are more than I mentioned a few. But the point for us is we want to be like Jesus. We want to be interruptible. And when we are interruptible, that's when we'll have the maximum or the greatest impact on the world around us. And I've kind of teased this out a little bit this morning about the impact that we have because there's so many things that the people that you interact with on a daily basis who don't know Jesus don't know these life-changing truths. That Jesus has the power to change our lives. That Jesus has an affectionate love for you as his daughter, as his son. Jesus can make us clean. And Jesus is the one that can give us this everlasting peace on this earth and in the life to come. So to have an impact like Jesus, how do we do that? So I'm going to share three truths with you at the end right here. It says, the first one is this, is God's agenda is more important than my agenda. If you want to be interruptible, if you want to have an impact, God's agenda is more important than my agenda. And I do, I think about the, the disciples as they're coming back, they're back from this long row or sail across the lake. They get to Capernaum. They want to go, you know, see their friends, get a bite to eat, take a nap, whatever it is, clean off. But they're interrupted by this man who says, come heal my son. They had an agenda, personal comfort. But God's agenda was different. Jesus' agenda for them was different. You know, it's fine, and we want to have goals. We want to have schedules. We want to have things that we're shooting for. And I'm very much like a schedule-driven person. Like, my life 
my, my days, my weeks look almost the same every day. I, like, I have the same thing for breakfast. I read my Bible in the same place every day. I get to the office at pretty much the same time. I have yogurt at 10.30 every morning. I have lunch at 12.30. I do the same thing every Monday, the same thing every Tuesday. I mean, I live a scheduled life. And so for me, God's agenda being more important than my agenda is sometimes difficult right? Because I've got what I'm doing. It's, it's my agenda. It's, and and I, I mean, I'd like to think I'm doing it for God, but the thing is that sometimes God has a different agenda t- for me than what I'm doing and what my plan is, and I need to be aware of that. And am I willing to be interrupted and say, I need to go with God's agenda instead of my agenda? I've mentioned this a number of times uh, in sermons, but I'm in a men's group, and we follow this thing which is called the 10-second rule. It's a book by the same name called the 10-second rule, but the idea is if God prompts you with something, if the Holy Spirit prompts you, within 10 seconds, respond and act on that. Because if you don't do it in 10 seconds, you'll talk yourself out of it. And so I try and live my life that way. If, if the Holy Spirit prompts me to do something, I do it because I want to be interrupted by God for his agenda and not mine. Here's the second. A person is more important than a project. A person is more important than a project. And we see this in an interesting way in this passage. And you kind of got to look closely. But Jesus, he's walking along. The woman comes up, grabs the corner of his prayer shawl. She's healed, right? So, and again, maybe this is too much of my world, but the project has been finished, right? So when she touched that, her bleeding was immediately stopped and she knew it. But yet, what does Jesus do? He stops and he takes time to hear her story because he cares about her. And so as we think about our lives, do we, are we willing to put people ahead of projects? And I tell you, that's hard. And, and I'm a project kind of guy and uh, sort of a silly story, but about two weeks ago, I was uh, working on our refrigerator and, and it, the like the little casing broke that you stick the water filter in. And so I, I'm, I was on YouTube and the whole deal. And eventually I get this thing fixed and, and I put a cup to the refrigerator and out comes water that's been run through the filter. And it was like this very satisfying feeling because the project was done, right? Projects are great because they get finished. The difficult thing about people is that people are never done. And I think that's why a lot of us gravitate towards projects and don't like to be interrupted by people because a project, we control so many of the elements of it. People, it's like, man, they're whacked out, right? Not you, other people are whacked out, right? But, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, there were, people were never done, and so it can be very tiring. We don't want to be interrupted for that. Here's the last one. He or she, you can put whichever pronoun in there you want, is more important than me. He or she is more important than me. And again, this goes back to the story of this woman. You know, Jesus says, who touched me? It's like, well, everybody touched you. And, and kind of look at that through Jairus' eyes and going, she, she's not more important than me? Like, let's get going. And I, and I just wonder that tension inside of him. Jesus is demonstrating for them that this woman is more important. And here's the thing, if we put 
if we put our needs and goals and desires ahead of everybody else's, then we will never be interruptible. Like if, if my goal and my desire and what I want to accomplish is more important, then I'll never be interrupted. Or, and this is kind of a little, a nuance of it, but like if your interruption helps me to make my goal, then I'm okay being interrupted, right? But are we willing to be interrupted by somebody who doesn't help us to achieve our goal or our ends or what we're shooting for? I'll close uh, with this story about she, in this case, being more important than me. So a couple of Friday nights ago, Stacy was out of town. She went to Glade Springs with a couple of her lady friends. And so I had a Friday night to myself. And so I decided, and this is not normal for me. I'm like, you know what? There's a book that I want to read, and there's a pizza place in town that I haven't tried. I want to try that. So I get on my scooter. I put my... Um, I get on my scooter, I put my Kindle in the little trunk of my scooter, I ride down to the pizza place, and my plan for the evening is I'm going to order a pizza, and I'm going to sit in the corner, and I'm going to read my book all night. I realize that sounds a bit nerdy, um, and some of you are like, oh, what a great Friday night. Right. So that's my plan. So I've got my Kindle, I, I walk in, and I walk up to the counter to order the pizza, and, uh, and a woman is over there, and she's approaching the counter at the same time. And it's a woman who used to go uh, here to, to River Ridge and hasn't been in, in a long time. Um, but we had been, we'd actually swapped a couple of texts over the summer. And so, and I say to her, mostly joking, I said, hey, do you want to continue our text conversation in person? And then she, she says yes. And so... Uh, it ends up being about an hour, hour and 15 minute conversation, just standing there next to this um, thing. Eventually she's like, order your pizza. And so I order my pizza and, and she's like, I'm gonna pay for your pizza. I'm like, great. And so, um, <laughs> but I'm eating my pizza and, and we're talking, right? And this is, we're not, uh, 100% of our discussion was talking about meaningful stuff. I mean, we're talking about her and her relationship with God. We're talking about pain that she's experiencing and experienced in life. We're talking about family relationships and what's good and what's hard about that. I was interrupted, but I tell you, that was not my plan. Like, I just want to go eat a good pizza and sit in the corner and read my book. But God interrupted me. And I, and I think and I'm praying that it has an impact on this woman. And I share that with you because if you want to have an impact, we've got to allow ourselves to be interrupted and to listen to that voice of God that says, now's an interruption. To listen to that person that pokes their head in the door. That phone call that comes when we look at caller ID and go, no thanks. Allow ourselves to be interrupted.